You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop, the show that's a little bit of everything with a K-Pop twist. Visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com for more information about the show. That's 17-C-A-R-A-T-K-P-O-P.weebly.com. Enjoy the show! Hello everybody, and welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. Today on the show, I'm going to talk about 25 iconic K-Pop girl groups and why I pick them, and go into why I decided to do a whole episode about them, and what makes them special and worth checking out. But before I do that and get into the backstory of the reason why I'm doing this episode, I do want to share a few headlines with you. I cover a lot of them in the other episode that just came out today, but there were more that I say for this episode because I wanted to try to somewhat equally split up the content and the amount of time I would spend on content in each of these new episodes. So uh, we do have to talk real quick about the Soribada Award winners. There were a ton, so I'm just going to list them, and I may list repeat names, but that's because they won in more than one category. But going down the list, your Soribada winners were BTS, Imyeon Woon, King Daniel, Red Velvet, Twice, AB6, Victon, Eyes One, NCT Dream, Oh My Girl, G-Friend, Astro, Mamamoo, Red Velvet, Twice, Kane Daniel, Kane Daniel, The Boys, G-Idol, Astro, Kim Woo-Sook, BTS, Ha Sun-Woon, Kim Jae-Hwan, Gaho, Twice, T-O-O, Cravity, MCND, Itzy, TXT, One Us, Luna, DKB, Alexa, Eyes One, Stray Kids, WJSN, and One Us. So One Us and King Daniel really made it big, as well as many others. In other congrats we have to give, Weekly's We Are debut EP passed 20,000 album sales. King Daniel's Who You Are video reached 10,000 views in the first minute after it got uploaded. Troublemaker's self-titled video reached 100 million views. BTS's Shadow video reached 80 million, and Fake Love reached 750 million views. TXT's Can't You See Me video reached 30 million. EXO's Love Shot video reached 300 million. NCT's The Seventh Sense reached 90 million. Taeyeon's Lawn Flight reached 13 million, which I'm extra excited about for obvious reasons, if you're all on time listener. And big, 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 big news. 17 has surpassed a million sales for their whole Japanese discography. So they are the 12th group in history to reach that goal. Um, They are just, like, just 11 groups before them have done this, but they've surpassed a million total sales for their Japanese discography, and I'm so excited for them, so congrats to Seventeen. By the way, uh, it was brought to my attention um, a, a day or two ago by someone that I, I said that Seventeen had just passed 600 million Spotify streams. I meant 900 million. I'm really sorry about that. But yeah, not 600, 900 million. And they are going to pass a billion streams by the end of 2020, mark my words. Very exciting stuff. In Quarantunes, the world of tech and music these days, um, South Korea is going to start teaching AI as a regular part of high school curriculum. And I find that very interesting because of the implications it could have for tech and how that affects everything in our lives, which includes the live music scene and, you know, how we perceive authenticity and all of that. I talk about this a lot on past episodes of my show about Miku, 
um, also a, an upcoming episode of How to Stand, so I won't get into do it too much now, but just know me talking about artificial intelligence affecting the music world and pop culture as we know it is a recurring topic that we will keep discussing on this show and on my side show, How to Stand. TikTok has new developments including a partnership with United Masters, which will basically allow indie artists to directly have their music distributed um, after it's posted on TikTok. So if you post a TikTok video with a song now, that song will also automatically be uploaded to Spotify and the like, so people can stream it. Because a lot of fans are finding new music through TikTok videos, and this is a way to help out those artists really make sure that people don't forget it's their song. And so that is a very interesting uh, update, as well as what TikTok's global head of fame said in a statement, quote, this partnership gives us a turnkey solution to help artists who are born on TikTok, which I find very interesting the way they describe um, their artists and how they're really working on honing their own individual artists that are born on TikTok, that can say they came from TikTok. Like, they want to do something like with Justin Bieber being discovered on YouTube or Shawn Mendes through Vines and whatnot. Um, and so I'm, I wouldn't doubt their ability to have that happen someday. So we'll, we'll see what the latest is with them. In terms of my latest album and music reviews for you, there's been so much great new K-pop music out lately um, that I would recommend. G-Idol's Dum Dee Dum Dee is a great summer anthem. Sunmi just released Borderline and the video for it. Borderline, she actually premiered on tour last year, but we finally get a video for it, and it's really, really, really great. I'm very excited we finally get to see that, which kind of maybe has to do with the fan feedback that I talked a lot about in my last episode. So check out Wan Ho My God. That episode talks about about fans uh, causing artists to release previously unreleased tracks. So anyway, uh, Treasure is here, and their debut boy, I really like that, is very fun and high energy. I would also recommend Itzy's new EP, Not Shy, and I will go into why in a second. So, well, actually, you know what? I'm gonna, sorry, make you listen to this commercial first, and then we're gonna talk about why I love that, that EP, and what about uh, let's talk about these girl groups. Itzy just released a video in a series called Letters to Midzy, so to address to their fandom, and Itzy w really opened up and were vulnerable in this video, and it really left me thinking their comments. So I want to share some of it with you. So first of all, Leah explained that she really doesn't feel like she's as good as the other members in her band. She feels like she's not as good of a dancer and that she worries she's looks like she's having less fun on stage as she looks at the bright smiles on her members' faces. And she also admits she felt a bit guilty during their first debut Dala Dala comeback because she wasn't enjoying it as much as the others. And she just felt guilty for not just enjoying it because that was a dream come true moment or at least was supposed to be for them. Then Cheon, she admitted that she felt most nervous after her debut, actually not building up to it, but then suddenly felt this heightened pressure, and she also felt like she was getting hated on, and the most hated on member um, online and everything, so early on that she, it made her wonder, you know, what's worth it, is the effort worth it, if they're already labeling me as this and that, are they, would, the, I guess their opinions won't change about me, 
Um, she also admitted that she's really just working on enjoy, like taking care of herself, enjoying her life, loving herself and all of that lately that she admits she hasn't really done in the past, trying to just stay in tune and accept these emotions more during this time. And she admits that she really tried to kind of stand off to the side and group pictures and stuff in the past and will try to do that a little less often now um, as she's realized within herself what she should do to boost her confidence. And she really just gets it. She also said, you know, she uh, when fans say, oh, I wish I was as pretty as them or I wish I was as, as talented as them or as cool as them, she said, I get that and I feel the same way. It's it's kind of an imposter syndrome thing that she was talking about, really feeling like, do I even deserve this fame and success and status as this icon? And they also commented during this uh, interview about being called talented for a girl group and having that phrase for a girl group added on to descriptions of them. Like, wow, they're really impressive for a girl group or they're really confident for a girl group or they're really talented for a girl group. And they talked about how that's demeaning and it feels like it implies that the stakes should be lower for them and that the fact that they surpass them ought to be... Um, it's, it's just a very patronizing thing and it basically implies that the expectations should be lower for girl groups because they're not as capable and they just insist that's not true and they don't want to be viewed as such. And so there are a lot of takeaways I got from this interview, um, but I, overall I really just appreciated their honesty in those moments and I really hope this video gets fans thinking about not just how mean people can be online and how they need to think before they post, but also just uh, remember the humanity and that their idols are humans too, um, so that as much as you want to compare yourself, they feel the same way. Um, they, they are also insecure, you know, it's, it's not, um, they're not invincible really, and I just think it really helped people remember that through this video. Similar comments lately were made by Unji from A-Pink, and that group has been around for nine years already. They debuted in 2011, and she she basically was saying recently quotes about, you know, um, being treated like second-hand idols or like r retired idols, like why aren't they retiring yet? And so A-Pink has, of course, uh, broken the seven-year curse when bands typically disband in the k-pop world um, but she still views the group as be being considered to have this quote expiration date um, viewing being viewed as if they don't have any more potential left in them basically just people are tired of them or viewing them as just some old group and not current not relevant anymore and so she admits that while preparing for um for future concepts, they've worried about this. How do we change up our image? But also, fans love our image still, so how do we respond to the critics saying we're outdated in our in our concept and let fans still have the A-Pink they know and love as opposed to changing on them in a way that upsets them? And those thoughts were really um, something to think about as well, is how um, fans seem to want female idols to change up their looks sometimes if they get to, um, like, grow up, really, but they also don't want them to grow up because then they're like, we miss the old group. And TWICE has talked about this a lot as well, where they sometimes feel torn because they do have that cutesy image, but they also are growing up and they genuinely just want to show a more mature side of themselves and their music, which they have been able to do lately, but um, all to say that sometimes girl groups are really getting... It got, these, these latest uh, statements from these groups really got me thinking about how 
K-pop girl groups especially really get pigeonholed and viewed as quickly expendable or a one-hit wonder or just really they can never win sometimes because they're either characterized as uh, outdated or irrelevant or they're characterized as just too cutesy and never growing up or you know it's it's like either or like either a girl group is super fierce or super um, meek and delicate and fragile in their um, in their demeanor and when girl groups are in that in between which is just like humans um, when they're just like regular people it throws people off guard and they feel like they need to categorize them and I just feel like all this internalized sexism and all sorts of other variables are at play that really just heighten the pressure on girl groups unfairly and so I really just wanted to spotlight them and all the ways that they um, subvert the stereotypes. And so my selection that I'm going to talk about today are K-pop girl groups, not necessarily my 25 favorites just sound-wise and who I listen to most, honestly. Some of them, for sure, of course, are in that list, but um, this is the list really of most unique girl groups. The girl groups, I think, deserve a lot of love and attention who are really breaking those boundaries or just defying stereotypes because these artists try to blend um, what is typical with what's not typical or what's expected with what's not expected from them, refusing to just be a, a bubblegum girl group versus a super fierce, sassy girl group that's super edgy. They blur those lines. They they go from... from throughout, throughout that characterization spectrum, they are all over the place and refuse to be labeled in a very specific way because they have such a range style-wise. And so that those are the groups I really want to highlight and point out that, um, you know, guys get to have the softer side of themselves shown and the edgy side and be complimented. And I just wish girls were just as much for, um, for their great concepts and just more freedom with their ability to style themselves a certain way and to portray themselves a certain way. And so, um, not even to, not even to, uh, get into, uh, all of the issues with body image standards and stuff that are placed on women, but, you know, there's just so much pressure. And so I just want to acknowledge all the work that they're doing that deserves as much recognition as the boy groups. And, you know, it's it's disappointing because I do think some of it is due to just media characterizations of girl groups. You know, there's this common catfight narrative with girl groups. Um, and unfortunately, that is added to with the some truths like how K-pop girl groups do tend to disband faster than K-pop boy groups. They have less longevity. But, um, you know, I don't like the description sometimes of that. And that is very common. So, you know, Western media may be less likely to invest time to really get to know and understand and write insightful profiles about K-pop girl groups because they feel like, why would I put my energy towards a group that's going to disband really quickly when I can do an in-depth profile about a long-term, long-lasting boy band, you know? So there's that to think about, as well as just heteronormative assumptions about who likes K-pop, you know? That the media might want to cover the boy groups more, especially in the USA, because... They assume K-pop is just for a bunch of teenage girls, and they assume that all those teenage girls just like guys. And so there's that whole aspect of trivializing and pathologizing the female fans, which has really happened, I mean, since the 80s, pop fandom studies have focused on girls. And marketing has, we're going to talk about this a lot on my How to Stand series, but... Um, really there's a long history of marketing being specifically tailored toward teenage girls, 
um, over time, which has really shaped perceptions of who is a pop music fan, you know, and even farther back, the word hysteria has been attributed to women and defined in a way that referred to women be when they were unladylike, they were hysterical then, and then the way hordes of fans are characterized by terms like hordes um, adds to that image of them being rabid or untamed or just all of these unfair mischaracterizations that also exclude so many people who are fans of these people. And so, I mean, think of even terms like the Bieber fever. That was a popular term back in the day. Or the One Direction infection. It's like the fandoms for boy bands are assumed to be a bunch of girls and then their interests are really belittled or characterized in a demeaning way. And so I'm going to talk about that and how fandom studies have mischaracterized fandoms in boxed out a lot of male fans um, over time in a future episode in How to Stand, but um, that's just a little preview. And all to say that um, the, there are a lot of uh, factors that have long... Um, there are some big uh, media issues that date back a very long time that have caused these trends in reporting and such that have really um, trivialized the contributions female artists make in the music scene and the diverse range of concepts and ideas and lyrics and everything that they have to offer. And so I just hope that full range of their ideas and a full freedom of expression is granted towards them more. And... You know, because I do think there are a couple things at play. One is the heteronormative fan base assumptions. One is the catfight narrative. One is um, just the extremes of girls expected to be all this or all that. Um, also, I think there's just in general internalized sexism with how we view, you know, how much effort they need to be putting in their dance or when they look lazy because they're not dancing as well and all of that. Um, and really assumptions about what K-pop is in the first place. Um, I think some, you know, super ignorant people might just think K-pop is a boy band industry and not even realize there's a world of girl groups out there. And so just a lot of, to think about. Side note, if you check out the episode of my show called Big Hit the Road, I know this is the last shameless plug for today, I promise, but Big Hit the Road is an episode where I get into this and the history of kind of uh, viewing boy groups with uh, giving them permission to express themselves in a lot more variety of ways, sound-wise, style-wise, than girl groups, and how girl groups' uh, concepts are not just necessarily this uh, fluffy stuff that's uh, got no substance. So uh, check out Big Hit the Road for that coverage. But anyway, things have changed in recent years. We saw G-Idol about to set out on their world tour if it weren't for covid uh, you know, Red Velvet has been filling up theater venues that other big-time acts have. You know, not just concert halls. They're filling up full theaters, which is huge. Dreamcatcher had their KCON cameo last year, and they're still relatively new as a group. And so these fan meets and whatnot have been so popular. Of course, we have Blackpink with their arena tour around the world and Coachella performance. We have acts like Momoland and Twice who have recently signed on to record labels to do, extend their USA promo. So the girl groups are getting more love and attention now. I'm not saying that everyone's, you know, describing them unfairly, but all anyway, I'm just saying here are your girl groups. Let's just get to it. The girl groups that I just want you to spend time appreciating. So first of all, Luna. Of course, number one is Luna because I did a whole episode about them. I won't even say the name of the episode because I promise no more shameless plugs during today's episode, but I'll wink right here. Anyway, so 
Luna is so unique because their whole concept, long story short, is the double universes on the Mobius strip, and then there's like Earth in between the other two parallel worlds, and they're trying to find each other and create their own world in the middle of it all. It's really all a story about what it means to be human and fall in love and all of these other themes, and it's just really clever and impressively done. They also just have such a range because you have everything from the doo-wop feel of a song like Vivid to the uh, fairy tale set in aesthetic from Kiss Later to the more mature songs like Sing in the Rain and um, Eclipse. You have the uh, more dark side, I guess you could say, of them in Favorite and other songs that are a little sassier, like So What? And then you have the fun cheerful, cutesy, things like hi-hi. They just cover such a range of sounds and vibes in their outfits, in their videos, all of that that I really love. I also want to shout them out all the time because of their company, Blackberry Creative, run by women only. And I just think it's such a small company run by women. Um, and so I want to help the underdog companies as well as just more women in these leadership roles behind and in front of the camera. So it's really exciting to see that. In the next episode, I'm going to share with you my dream set list for a Luna World Tour. So here, that's your little sneak peek. That's not a shameless plug. Don't accuse me of that. That's just me uh, giving a tease at the next episode. So I'm allowed to do that. Anyway, so number one, Luna. Number two, Itzy. Um, because I really gained a greater appreciation for them as a group, not just after the latest video I was talking about, but because of seeing them at Digital KCON this year. And just, I really, I really, honestly, at first I was a bit, um, I wasn't sold on their music at all. I've talked about that before on the show. I've just not been a super, uh, I just haven't enjoyed their music and I just haven't been a fan. But lately I've really been enjoying it and I think... I don't know, uh, I, at least the newer stuff, I guess, I just love a lot more. I just think it's it's really great. Uh, their music quality just seems to have gone up ever since they started showing more variety in their sound and weren't sticking to one sound where, because to me, like, Dala Dala and Icy in those eras sounded so similar to each other, and I wasn't a fan of one of those songs, and then that led me to not be into the other song and vice versa. So this departure from their their debut sound I like a lot, and I hope they stay in this direction. And their latest EP is just, it's just a nice variety from them. It's very refreshing. So, um, I was also thinking about why Itzy's popular, and it came to two conclusions. Well, three conclusions, really. Four, actually, <laughs> as I think about them. Okay, so first of all, their wardrobe is basically out of the Disney show Shake It Up, which, you know, I'm pretty sure a lot of people who grew up on Shake It Up are now K-pop stands, prove me wrong, um, but they totally look like they, they're wearing Shake It Up clothes, and uh, it's quite a mishmash, but they make it work, and it's impressive, and just something I noticed. Second of all, their videos are so colorful and fun and full that it is such a visual feast, it demands your attention, and I think that really helps their appeal, but I can understand why some people are annoyed by that uh, sensory overload, maybe, but um, it's very cool anyway, um, and yeah, I just just something that uh, causes you to take a second look. Um, sec or second or third of all, they have a cool theme song, so 24 Hours is a great song to walk into a room to, or leave a room to, and I just think if you have a great a uh, short little uh, tune to 
walk dramatically to. That's just a, a great iconic thing for TikToks and whatnot, but also just for your life. Um, fourth thing that makes them super iconic and noteworthy, um, they their confidence. I mean, they, their new EP and video is called Not Shy, and that is their whole concept out of the gate. It just reminds me in a way of Ava Max, um, the pop star who she... Um, She's basically, she gets a lot of Gaga comparisons, and I can kind of get that. She does look like a young Lady Gaga, but um, but really, because she didn't uh, grow into confidence as an idol. Like, she doesn't have a full album yet, and she is already releasing songs about, you know, they won't tear me down, and the, um, you know, haters don't matter to me, and, like, I'm just gonna be me. Like, she's already got the confidence level of an artist who's been in this industry for decades um so usually you don't get that kind of you know who cares what you think uh anthem from an artist until longer later on in their career usually they started a little relatively more shy but she's never been that way and I admire that a lot and Itzy was the same way they came out right out of the gate being with their whole image being confidence and uh, just really yeah confidence embracing who they are and so I think that that's just very cool and you know, I, I'm just very glad again that they released these videos, though, because it is a concept. It is who they are on stage, um, but kind of an alter ego sort is who they are off stage when they admit that they're not exactly always who they are in their videos. But I think that's important to let fans know, too, is that, you know, you could portray who you think is the best side of yourself and then try to embrace that side more and more. But you can admit that's not every side of you in that one music video character. And so I think that they're giving fans permission to do that. Number three is, of course, A-Pink. They have some really iconic dance moves, like that cool arm movement um, that really went viral on TikTok and music after Music Bank and whatnot this year. Um, and they have other dance moves that have just become known to be classic A-Pink moves. They've also really left an impact, and I think it's because they have this concept of familiar surprises that we've talked about before on this show, where there's a lot of uh, love for things that are what we expect mixed with a few changes, shaking things up and not too much that throws us off. So we like change, but in small amounts. So A-Pink has done that over time with obviously having a lot of pink in their videos and keeping that aesthetic going, like with You You and with I'm So Sick and Sunday Monday and like the color scheme for those comebacks, but they also have changed up their sound and vibe a lot too, you know? So they have the color scheme consistency and whatnot, but they also depart from it as they grow up. And so that mixed bag is what I'm talking about with these groups. Number four, Red Velvet. They obviously have such a range. They go from very fun and cute things like Power Up and, um, you know, Zim Zalbim and other cute uh, Oompa Oompa, other things where um, they're literally miniature characters or other super, super cute stuff. And of course, they have the Trolls collab. Um, but then, of course, they have Bad Boy and Really Bad Boy and other edgier, sassier songs that have become really popular. So they really let people um, grow up with them because they tap into your inner child through some videos and they tap into your uh, I want to act older, um, at sassier, more rebellious um, vibe as well. Number five is Twice. They, of course, have a lot of fun bubblegum music, but they have some deeper storylines, too, especially in their videos, like with Feel Special, 
for example, where Mina is uh, singing the lyrics, you know, I just wanted to hide, didn't want to face the world, and then she literally faces the world, and she sees this, like, dome, and she's face-to-face -face with the others. It's a whole thing. But anyway, in the Feel Special video, it's all about that connection. There are a lot of points in that video where the members of TWICE look at each other across the room, and they lock eyes, and then they suddenly feel better. And so they're cheering each other up. It's really powerful, and, you know, it's not just this corny thing or this bubblegum thing. Um, Twice is really has some great messages about broad concepts like the power of friendship and love and care for each other no matter what. And it's hard to explain um, it besides that. It's just that that shouldn't be belittled or dismissed as just, like, you know, too cute. That is an important lesson to teach people. So just I just want to give my appreciation to them, as well as because they have a song for every occasion, from the summer hits to a Halloween-esque uh, comeback with Yes or Yes. So they're, they have a song for everything, and so, yeah, we love. All right, number six is Dreamcatcher, and I, uh, I think I'm going to talk about their whole music video universe a lot on a new episode of the show for it. Um, because it's really layered and very cool. It's very horror movie-esque, a lot of movie references, a lot of intricate choreography that tells a story as well. So I really like the unique concept they're going with. They're called K-pop's goth princesses for a reason. So we're going to go into that in a future episode, but I have a lot more to say about them. Number seven, G-Friend, also getting their own episode later because they have a very unique storyline, so I won't say any more. Number eight, Brown-Eyed Girls. They um, deserve a lot more love. They have really helped uh, really pave the way for K-pop globally. And, you know, there are a couple of reasons they stand out to me. One is that Jia got to create the group, kind of like Stray Kids with Bang Chan, um, where a member was picked first and then they helped pick the other members of the group. I think that kind of helps with the organic chemistry that forms among group members, and that'll help with group longevity. Also, they really... Um, they they broke boundaries like how they became the first K-pop group to go 10 years without any member changes. So they had a big celebration for that in Koreatown in LA. And so they really they really have uh, broken the mold and defied expectations for girl groups by their longevity. They've also released songs that really make you think. For example, The Sixth Sense. Um, that one, there's like a whole military and there's a guy in a gold mask on a throne who's controlling the military but he won't show his face and the military stands at his attention and does everything he says and then the girls show up and it's like, somehow they win, it's like a dance-off to win against the war, it's like a whole thing. It makes more sense if you watch the video but they really come in there and save the day and it's like cinema, cinema levels of drama and I love it. It's like, they also have more overt movie references, like in the Kill Bill video, but they, they really, um, yeah, they're, they're just, they have a very fierce, cool image with very cinematic music videos, and The Sixth Sense especially, that was, uh, marketed as, um, the, a track being about the limits of your five senses is how they branded it, and how, try to listen to this song not with just your five senses. Basically, the message was that, like, it was a very open your eyes message about, um, you know, mind control in a way and freedom of thought and expression and the ways they symbolize that in the video are very impressive to me. And then there's of course the iconic abracadabra, 
um, video and dance. They became known for that dance called the Arrogant Dance, which became so popular that even Psy bought the rights from the creators of that dance to make a copy of it. So huge and influential. And, you know, they, the fact they had that Revive album um, of remakes of their classic songs out in October last year was really a, a great testament to their uh, staying power and just their impact that should not be understated. Number 921. They really have... Uh, they they were literally branded as like they they viewed themselves as literally being branded as like the ugly group uh the ugly girl group or like looks were not their strong suit is how they described it which um they they're gorgeous so whatever but um anyway but they uh they really embrace this uh whatever attitude uh carefree and like with I am the best and they're smashing stuff and they're wearing leather and they're they're just really totally engaging like that beast mode masculine stereotype but they are embracing it for themselves and I just really love their their attitude and their fierceness and they also however despite the fierce looks and actions and everything they also had showed were able to show their softer side we saw song, in songs like Come Back Home, where the couple was seen watching TV together, and then they see an ad for this digital paradise, and then this guy gets uh, basically brainwashed into going to the digital paradise and leaves his spouse behind. Um, so basically all about the social commentary about internet um, culture and just how social media might drive a wedge between people and cause people to lose sight of who they have in their real physical daily life that they should be cherishing more. They also had songs like It Hurts, where um, a girl reunited with her love only to realize that he didn't make her as happy as she thought, and then she goes back to being alone. So really, like, they, they really get to deeper issues and commentary, as well as just the fierce stuff. Number 10, After School. So After School, as I said in a previous episode, I'm just getting into. I admittedly just hadn't really heard much of their music um, like a few months ago, but now I'm really hearing it all, and it's there. It's really quite the awesome range. Um, I think that's just really cool. The subunit wise, they have different. Uh, each subunit has a totally different flavor to it, but also the whole group uh, songs that are just from after school are great. You know, and you have everything from like the drill team esque uh, "Let's Step Up" to the pastel concept with Lady Luck to the the whole chrome metallic look from Rambling Girls, the black blazer look from Sh from Shu. <laughs> um, it's a uh, it's really they really just have a a range that is impressive, and they always uh defied expectations you never know what to expect from them and I also think their unique graduation concept for the members helped with their longevity too and is worth noting number 11 is Khan K-H-A-N this was a two-member group who were very short-lived they had one main hit single I'm Your Girl and it was really cute it was a really sweet story about a special special bond between girls and it was, uh, they had a lot of potential, I think, and I just wish more people had given them love when they were a group. Number 12 is Bowl 4. I know Bowl 4 is now a one-woman act, but, um, I still view it as a group, and I miss them as a group already. They've always had a very unique folk sound, and, you know, her voice is just so unique, and she could sing the dictionary, it would sound lovely, and, uh, 
yeah, just seeing the dictionary, seeing the encyclopedia, whatever you want. It's just beautiful. Um, she's so charming and cute. Videos like Stars Over Me are just so cute and yeah, just very cute, but also tells some deeper stories like in Workaholic, a story about like same old, same old every day, um, feeling like this monotony of life needs to be broken. And then songs like 25 that deal with getting older. So really relevant abstract concepts to discuss that are worth noting as well as just fun cutesy aesthetics. Number 13, Pink Fantasy. This group is kind of like BAP meets Dreamcatcher. Um, they have the bunny logo and they have the goth princess look going on for them, but it's in more of a rock pop sound, but it's a, uh, so it's kind of a mix of other groups, but also they've got their, their unique flair and they've just got a super memorable image they've created mascot wise, wardrobe wise, sound wise. They always catch you by surprise with what they choose to do. And the, especially the name Pink Fantasy makes you think you're about to listen to super bubblegum pop, but no, they are they are edgy and sassy and they just have a really cool concept going for them. And yeah, I know they were like super cutesy with some of their early imagery with Iroha and whatnot, but um, they really, I think, are carving a unique path for themselves. Number 14, Rocket Punch. I really like that they do not have assigned roles in the group, like the leader, the dancer, the singer, the visual. They're all just everything, and I just wish more groups would do that. I think it would lower the unnecessarily high expectations on some female groups. I also think that they are iconic because they have so much going on in their songs. It can be like a sonic bombardment and it might be too much for people, but I think that's really cool that they have this unique thing where their whole thing is not what you expect, where they try to hook you with an e a catchy earworm. They do the opposite kind of, where they try to hook you with so many earworms, you just don't know what to do. And so a whole apple's worth of earworms, so you basically have to throw out the apple and figure out what you like about it, but then you realize you liked it. If that makes sense. So, like, for example, when they released Bouncy as their debut, or no, sorry, Bing Bang Boom was their debut. Bouncy came out after that, and then when Bouncy came out, I did not like it. I was like, this is too much going on. There's a circus elephant, there is a bouncy ball noise, there is just way too much. There's chanting, like a cheerleader thing, like, what is happening? But... The more I listened to it, the more I liked it. The more I... Just every sound effect actually made sense together. So it's really something that Stray Kids does well, too. Putting a lot of sound effects together in a way that's still catchy. So anyway, I would just consider yourself to... I would just encourage you to give Rocket Punch more of a chance. Even if you already tried their music and didn't like it, try again, please. Um, because they have something really unique where they have a lot of earworms um, to spend time with. Listen to their songs a few times before you decide if you like them or not. Number 15 is 3i, spelled 3-Y-E. They have some really cool giant formations in, and choreography and other visual aspects of their work that I like. I also like that they've coined all these unique phrases like DMTs, their do my thing, OOMM is out of my mind. Like the way they've built comebacks around these things, it's like making fetch happen, and I really love it. And so I hope they do more of that. They haven't lately with Yes Sir, that's not a, an abbreviated thing. They didn't call that YSR or whatever, but um, I just think they've, they've really started out from the get go being a super unique group. Number 16 is Mamamoo. 
they have definitely showed their confident side with their full group releases. Like, yes, I am, of course, with that I like what I like attitude. And then Mr. Ambiguous with the whole, uh, the lines like you're a flirty wolf in a sheep's mask. I love that. Just very sassy, like stop being a um, two-faced with me, don't play games with me, that very upfront attitude I love. But they've also, as soloists, been able to explore more deep personal emotions, like with Huasa writing that letter to her former self through the San Maria about you're perfect the way you are, don't change, and things like that. So um, they've been able to be more vulnerable on their solo works and on some ballads for the band, but they also have that sassy side that I love. Number 17 is FX. They have always broken barriers in terms of just sounds. Like, they've always defied what you expect. Again, it's another group that that is just after-school-like in a way, in the way that they never are what you expect. They're so different always. Yeah, just so, so, so different and not what you'd expect in any way, outfit-wise, music, video-wise, sound-wise. I also love when they deliver very intense lyrics but with a cutesy smile like talking about electric shocks and stuff I love that irony and there's there are songs too you know that just have really serious meaning though like four walls about love and how love is like a labyrinth or a maze I really like the emotional complexity they have in some of their songs number 18 Everglow Everglow is like itsy in the way that they were straight out the gate confident as their concept I also think just just uh, aesthetic wise, it's very cool to see the literally larger than light set than larger than life settings they seem to be on. They have also huge mass choreography with a lot of backup dancers. Just visually, their videos are a sight to see. They're really cool to see, and I'm excited to hear more from them. Number nineteen is Marmalo. Marmalo really deserved a lot more love. They only had a few singles before they disbanded, but I wish they had really gained more traction. They were really cool, a four-member, I believe, girl group, four or five members, and I really just like them. I also love that they played their own instruments. That was a super unique thing for girl groups, especially in the K-pop space. And so I just w I wish at least uh, more groups maybe will hopefully fill their void now and play their own instruments and have that guitar-driven sound. I think that would be cool to see more of. Number 20, 4-Minute. Four 4-Minute four has, you know, they were so sassy, and they also broke a lot of fashion rules, like bucket hats with crop tops and, and like, leggings or skinny jeans or whatever those were. I mean, who would have thought? Like, and then, like, the white jumpsuit with the bandanas and stuff. Like, they really broke style rules, and they also had cool video concepts, with that totally I don't care attitude, the house party feel of songs. And then there's like the song Hate, where it starts out with like a wedding scene, a tragic wedding scene, and then the bride doesn't get married, of course, leaves the relationship with only feeling hate for him. It's really funny and iconic. Number 21, Jiju. Jiju is another underrated girl group that deserves more attention. They really have only had two comebacks. I guess they never technically disbanded. Their last comeback was in 2019. They had another one for their debut in 2017, but that's it. Two big singles so far since 2017. So I hope they didn't disband, though. Um, they have a really unique concept, especially with Moonlight. They just have really... Just they they're they're dancing together and the sound of their music very trumpet heavy very uh, anthemic 
it's something very movie ready and I just want to see more from them and I hope we do. Number 22, Blackpink. They really have mixed that a lot when it when it comes to sass and just cuteness and they mix that just in every way from the sets to the outfits, all these details. I also think it's iconic um, and helps their uh, popularity just the fact that they have uh, they have, you know, English speakers in the group. They have, they have members from other parts of the world. They, you know, they just bring a lot to the table in terms of just background. And so that variety brings fans in, not just from those other countries, but it just keeps it very unique and just, you know, as a reminder how variety is so important in life and diversity is so special and brings together such great results musically. And 23, CLC, they also do what FX does in the way that they say really intense, sassy lyrics, but with a cute smile and a wink that I love. They also have songs that are just great and fierce feminist anthems like No, where they just are like, whatever, I don't want to be that girl, I don't want to wear high heels, and it's fine if you do, but I don't, you know, it's just wear what you want, be who you want, and I love that message that they have. Um, they also really have a lot of references often that make people stop and Google, and I just think that is a cool way to keep relevant and be part of the conversation online, like Pepe, for example. I'm sure then fans were suddenly looking at Pepe, learning about the skunk character and why he was picked, because his whole thing is finding love. That's his whole life goal is all about the search for love, so naturally that's a good pop song cartoon to emulate. And then, the, you know, there's songs like Hobgoblin, where you probably had to Google Hobgoblin and see the origins of that story. So really, just keeping things Googleable is honestly a great way to stay in the conversation online. Number 24, G-Idol. They are very hands-on with production and songwriting and all of that, and I think that shows with their range, because they've done everything from, like, a Latin flair to, with Senorita, to the whistling and the dramatic looks from Han to the the super just unique indescribable sounds of a lion to the uh summer bob dumdy dumdy i mean they've really covered such a range and continue to do so i also think they've really had great uh worldwide appeal because of their side projects so we have the league of legends collab i talked about on a previous episode that drew in a lot of male fans who play League of Legends games and they heard about the crossover event and they uh, heard about Soyeon and they got into G-Idol through her. You know, Soyeon has done rapping on a bunch of other songs. They also had Minnie team up with Wenji for that song Empire. So the side projects they get to do really have helped uh, bring people into and discover G-Idol as a whole as well. Number 25 is Nature. Especially with their latest video, I honestly wasn't much of a fan of them before this, but the girls video, the video for girls is so good, and I really hope they stay in this really unique storyline direction for a while now. It's kind of like a mini horror movie. Um, these girls are in these um, identical white dresses walking down the hall. There's another scene where there's this, they're all like ghosts spinning around the room. There's a room with scissors hanging by threads from the ceiling. There's rooms with these, this blood, and it's like a whole horror movie. There's, uh, you know, there's, there's some gore, but it's, um, there's, there's, there are a lot of, like, ghost, uh, 
moments where characters seem to fade in and out like ghosts. There's one girl left blindfolded. Like, it's a whole storyline with a lot of symbolism that goes unexplained because I think it will be unpacked more in future videos. This is just the start, I hope, of a more fleshed-out storyline. So stay tuned, but it's very cinematic, and I'm excited to see where the story goes from here. So quick recap of these groups that you ought to discover or rediscover. Take notes, please. Luna, Itzy, A-Pink, Red Velvet, Twice, Dreamcatcher, um, Nature, G-Friend, Brown-Eyed Girls, 21, After School, Khan, Bull 4, that's B-O-L-4, Pink Fantasy, Rocket Punch, 3-I, Mamamoo, FX, Everglow, Marmelo, 4-Minute, Jiju, Blackpink, CLC, and G-Idol. All right. So, those are the groups I hope you pay more attention to. I'll probably do another episode like this in the future for more of them, because there really are so many out there, but those are 25 of the ones I thought were most unique and stood out to me for different reasons. So, please check them out. Continue to support girl groups, as well as all the others, of course, and uh, let them, you know, be human and express a range of ideas, and don't try to box them in. So, that is the moral of the story. Um, thank you for listening. I will see you again Sunday for a new episode of How to Stand, and then I will see you again next week for more 17 Karat K-pop. Thank you all for listening, and I will see you then.